Research in Practice and Research in Practice for Adults podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice for children, adults and families. Hello, my name's Susanna Boyer and I'm Assistant Director of Research in Practice. And my name's Lisa Smith, I'm the Assistant Director of Research in Practice for Adults. We are um, at a time of year where we have both just launched the delivery programmes for our two organisations for um, 2018-19 and at that point it seems like a great opportunity to use the podcast um, as a vehicle for having a bit of a conversation about the programmes upcoming, um, how we came to develop the programmes as we did, the topics that we're covering and a little bit about some of the detail of the outputs that are going to be available to the membership networks over the course of the year. And because one of the new things about this year's programme is the very notion of doing podcasts, it seemed like uh, killing two birds with one stone that we might actually have a go at podcasting this bit of information. So very meta and here we are. Okay, so to start off with then, uh, we have done the delivery programmes for many years um, in a very close consultation over the course of a number of months with our membership networks. Do you want to say a little bit more about what our membership networks are and how we go about that? So um, between us, we work with over 100 local authorities and different provider organisations across children and adult services. Um, and we, we have quite a close relationship with those organisations. So as we're having conversations through the year, we'll be talking to people to find out what their pinch points are, where their pressures are. And in, in essence, kind of talking to people about what their headaches are and maybe trying to find solutions. So we use that information that we gather through those relationships and then to, to inform some of the topics that we think about. And then we will go out to consult with our very wider network on a, maybe a long list of topics and then hone that down with our link offices. And our link offices are our key contacts within the organisations that we work with. And they'll really help us to refine and define our delivery programme so that we very much, what we do is informed entirely by our networks rather than us sitting somewhere in isolation thinking up topics. So it's very much um, working with our network and kind of a really clear feedback loop. And that's how we develop the delivery programmes. Um, important to say this year as well that we're doing it rather differently. So in the past, our delivery programmes have included a number of topics with um, maybe two resources related to each topic. So we're still having sort of 20, 25 sort of outputs. But this year we've elected to go for five topics each and then a number of resources, so four or five resources linked to all each of those topics. So then what that gives us is a kind of very rounded learning package and we'll talk through those topics as we go. So we feel really lucky that the way our organisations are structured are along this lines of this um, very interactive two-way network and the communication that that provides us. And we feel um, very privileged to be able to get that kind of ear to the ground understanding of the pressure points and the issues that are um, pressing on people in practice around the country and on um, strategic managers and leaders as well. Brill. Right then, so uh, so that's that's the kind of uh, the overview. So now we thought we might get a little bit more into what these um, what these five topics are. Um, some of them, a couple of them, uh, we're using the same topic on both the research and practice and the research and practice for adults side, which makes for some really nice opportunities for shared working and shared learning. 
um, and some of them are we're doing um, in separate strands. So on the child and family side, on the research and practice side, the five topics this year are trauma, neglect, mental health, complex exploitation and strength-based approaches. So strength-based approaches is one of the shared topics and it's an area of um, growing interest in both adult and child and family services where people are increasingly being um, drawn to both research evidence and um, practice knowledge that um, working from a position of strength rather than a kind of deficit-based model of approaching um, pe supporting people um, with with the kind of complex needs that they may have as an individual or as a family, that strength-based approaches um, have a lot of uh, um, potential or are proving to be a, a much more successful way than operating in, in a sort of deficit-based uh, model. So what are some of the kind of things that we're doing under that heading? Well, we are doing, for instance, um, a series uh, or a workshop that's going to be delivered around the country a number of times on uh, the method uh, that's known as appreciative inquiry. So that's a, a, a methodology from research, um, from the research world that has been used quite um, extensively already in some areas of um of safeguarding practice in particular around sort of rethinking um, uh, serious case review activity and basically it's what it says on the tin the appreciative inquiry that rather than um, always responding to uh, mistakes or, or so-called failures or, or where things have gone badly wrong and and it has to be said that the development of our child protection services has most consistently been on that basis in in response to tragedies and 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 the, where things are um uh, where things have gone badly wrong so rather than that uh, appreciative inquiry tries to bring people together not to uh, wallpaper over issues and challenges but to really build on um positive feedback from children and young people that you're working with positive feedback from practitioners and staff in terms of the ways in which work is being delivered and, and tries to grow um, activity uh, out of that perspective. One of the most popular uh, kind of frameworks for um, for direct practice at the moment in this country, Signs of Safety, was itself developed from an appreciative inquiry base. Um, so the, the whole model was kind of designed and grown in a way through that kind of thinking, talking to social workers and practitioners about what works and talking to, to families themselves about about what are better more um, positive ways of of building and developing practice um, so it's a so it's an interesting and useful kind of tool and a useful lens for people to think in teams uh, and in services about how to build the work that they're doing so that's one of the elements on the rip strength-based approaches program and that's really interesting, that idea of applying that appreciative inquiry approach, because actually it entirely mirrors the types of conversations that we need to be having. So if we're having a strengths-based conversation with an individual saying, you know, what are the things that you can do, then naturally out of those conversations are things that people maybe need support with, fall out of. So it's a really neat way of kind of focusing in on our strengths and then identifying where our needs would be, but, you know, le really leading with strengths. Um, 
And there's been, Lynn Ramirez done a huge amount of work already around strengths-based working in um, adult social care, and there was a roundtable report um, produced last year. So in developing our programme, we're being really mindful to complement Lynn's work rather than to be duplicating. Um, and one of the things that we're really looking at is um, the use of um, evidence as we go forward and we develop um, strengths-based working. So we've got a strategic briefing, which is aimed at kind of sector leaders and thinking about the evidence that they need to consider as they're evolving their organisations and their workforce towards a strengths-based way of working. So really foregrounding the evidence and as, as they kind of go forward as well. Um, and we're also um, thinking about those conversations. We're going to be... Um, producing podcasts which are going to be with people with lived experience to actually talk about what it feels like when suddenly somebody's having a strengths-based conversation with them because actually if you've been involved with services for a number of years the narrative and the way that you've been speaking with professionals is suddenly going to change so instead of having conversations about you know, what is it that you need what is it that we can do for you the nature of the conversation is going to is flipping and it's changing to be actually a strengths-based one and actually that's quite it might feel quite confusing if I think for myself if somebody sat down in front of me and said right what are your strengths I'm probably not gonna automatically come up with them so hearing from people about what it felt like to um, have conversations about their strengths and for them to be saying you know and to giving hints for practice about what worked how did how how were their strengths pulled out what what were the types of things that people said to them to make sense of that so we don't get sort of too tied up in our own language and you know, we talk about strengths and outcomes and they're not things that we use in everyday language so we're hoping that those podcasts are going to be really assistive to practice and kind of thinking about how we frame those conversations with people lovely um, mental health is another one, I think, isn't it, that we've both um, that we've both got various activities going on in. Um, on the children and family side, again, uh, like with strength-based working, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, interest, attention at a at a universal level, really, in both in the sort of uh, child and family services and and wider kind of um, health and mental health services around uh, around mental health as a as a societal challenge um and so the the work that we're doing will very much kind of uh, speak into what's already quite a busy kind of policy and practice area we're working with the anna freud center um and we're going to be developing um a strategic briefing to support people with that kind of um head uh, assistant director kind of head of service type level within uh, locality organizations to think about um how to redesign or rework a system uh, uh, around more effectively responding to um, emotional and mental health needs of children and young people in their area. We know, for instance, that um, the kind of traditional structure of um, child and adolescent mental health services is really struggling in many places to meet the kind of demand that may not, you know, as the saying goes, meet threshold for mm some of the um, tier three, for instance, sort of CAM services. But but at the same time, those children and young people are really needing some support now, here and now, rather than being put on a waiting list or, um, uh, or, or not receiving any help at all. And there's some really interesting innovation going on around the country that we'll be kind of drawing into this strategic briefing with lots of ideas about how that system might be quite radically redesigned um, to do something quite different there 
some of the best work in that area. I'm thinking about West Berkshire, for instance, and some really great work that um, I heard about in 2017 that was led by Rachel Wardell uh, when she was um, DCS in West Berkshire, uh, was around uh, a really radical rethink at that kind of CAMS tier two, tier three level. And the rethink was very, very uh, centrally led by children and young people in the localities. So the way that the, the, the services were redesigned and the provision um, was developed and is now being delivered was absolutely in um, co-production with children and young people in the area themselves. Uh, so that's the kind of um, uh, really interesting practice innovation that we'll be seeking to um, put forward in some of this material to help people around the country kind of share innovative ideas and, and think how those might be applied in the locality where they are. And in terms of our work around mental health, um, I'm interested that you talked about co-production there just toward, towards the end. And um, we're, we're co-producing a brief guide around mental health assessment. So one of the things um, going out around the network is um, people kind of saying, actually, what would be really useful is if um, somebody's having an assessment under the Mental Health Act, that they, they're enabled to understand what that means and what that process is. So we started off thinking maybe we need to do some sort of a map. And what we've actually done is we're developing a brief guide and we've spoken with people who've got experience of being assessed under the Mental Health Act and they're really influencing kind of what goes into that guide. And then as we develop it, we're, we'll be testing it out with them. And hopefully that'll be a really useful resource for people who are experiencing that, but also to support their family members as well. And also to enable, quite often with the brief guides, it's, not, it's about enabling people working outside of social care or outside a health setting to really understand sort of some of the complex systems that exist so they're kind of quite useful in that way and then sort of moving through our topic and um, borrowing really um quite a lot of work's been done around trauma-informed approach approaches within children and families work um, and borrowing from that we've got a trauma-informed um workshop so looking at how how um our practice should be trauma-informed when we're working with adults and we came to this with through the work that we've done this year already around sexual exploitation and mental health and actually as we've moved through developing those resources it's been really clear that our practice needs to be trauma informed so that we're working with people where they are and understanding the kind of what's influencing the behaviours that we might be observing and enabling us to be more understanding in the work that we do um, and then we've also got a, um, a briefing that's kind of looking at that sort of systemic level of working as well so something that's aimed at leaders to support um, the design of systems that enables um, mental health to both be really considered and foregrounded in social care but also um, thinking about where social workers are um, seconded or placed into um, community mental health teams and sometimes the social care element can kind of it becomes it can become invisible or that people who are um, social workers in mental health teams are considered to be solely AMPs um, and on that note as well, we've um, put together a poster that people who work in, in um, community mental health teams can kind of put up around the place that enables other professions to understand what a social worker is. So actually seeing them is more than an amp in that setting. So I think the kind of thing that you're saying there really brings across that um, that that kind of research practice interface in the way that, that, that how we're trying to think and present and, and produce the materials. So... It's not just a kind of uh, review of the evidence or, or, or a kind of uh, theoretical um, reflection on the evidence. It's, it's kind of going a little bit beyond that to these kind of so what questions and getting into these, these very practical perspectives. 
And it's uh, that's, again, you know, why we're so lucky to have this kind of ear to the ground, because those kind of issues that you're raising there about the about the position and role of um, of, of social workers in that um, multi-professional context, you're getting that, you know, with your ears to the ground allows mm. you then to think, OK, so, you know, what, what practical kind of ways might we produce um, some materials that are going to going to help to um, lubricate those conversations, those sort of multi-professional conversations on the ground. Um, yeah, really, really interesting. So that's, um, yeah, we haven't done any posters for a while. That'll be interesting. <laughs> um, we've got trauma as a, a, a and mental health. So as to, as to obviously highly related, but two sort of distinct, two of the two, two distinct of our five topics on the child and family side. Um, so uh, some some quite interesting materials coming out under the under the topic heading of trauma. I've just been talking today actually to um, Danny Taggart, who's a, a clinical psychologist at the University of Essex, who's going to be writing the first output in that series, which is a frontline frontline briefing for practitioners around trauma informed practice. Annie's doing our um, trauma informed um, workshop with Angela Sweeney, so we're sharing again. Yes, yes. He's, we're, we're, you have to watch out, Snackademic. If we get if we get our grips into you and we like and we all get on well, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll have you signed up for you know uh, for all sorts of things. Um, but he's he's um, a, a lovely um, empathic uh, academic and practitioner. Um, who presents, um, in my opinion, in a, in a very accessible but also very um, very theoretically grounded way from a from a clinical psych background around um, what it means to be trauma informed. So it's an interesting, uh, you know, it, it's a term that's very much in currency at the moment. I think in this country and um, uh, the the another of the outputs we're doing for leaders around leading a trauma informed organisation. Uh, the author there was saying to me that she's really drawing on a lot of literature from the US because there isn't a huge amount um, written at that sort of organisational level in this country. Um, and like lots of terms that can start flying around, it's all, it's really helpful, I think, sometimes to just stop a little bit and get somebody with real um, deep theoretical knowledge and understanding to start to unpack a term like trauma-informed for frontline people and help to uh, help us to understand you know, really in practical terms, uh, what, what does that mean for me to be practic uh, practicing in a trauma-informed way? And we've been doing a bit of work already with Danny, and one of the things he said to me that I thought was quite interesting was that he thought that actually in many ways social workers are um, quite ahead of the curve um, in the way that they address um, working with people who have um, experienced uh, you know, abuse or maltreatment in their past, working with adults who are dealing with um, the legacy of those kind of experiences in their adult life that in he felt that the kind of social context in which social work is done and the, and the kind of social lenses and, and kind of frames that social workers use to think about and work with um, people with those kind of experiences he you know as a clinical psychologist has found really refreshing um, uh, to come towards, uh, you know, from from a, a more clinical background. I think he'll he'll elaborate on that a little bit more in the in the briefing and the webinar that he does for us. So yeah, it's really nice to hear uh, somebody from a clinical background talk so positively about social workers and social workers' expertise. 
um, it's it's really um, heartening to hear and I think something that social workers can always do with hearing more often um, mm, yeah. about, about how their professional perspective and expertise is really um, recognised and honoured by others in a multi-professional context. Um, another one of our topics for this year is um, balancing risks and rights. So we've done quite a lot of work um, over the years around working positively with risk through um, making safeguarding personal and um, we've produced a risk enablement briefing. And then this year as well, we've had a chapter in our evidence review around kind of working with risk and complexity and really trying to build on that and thinking about what our sort of our values and ethics are as we work with risk. So if I'm naturally risk averse as a practitioner, does that have an impact on the way that I work with the person that's in front of me and the risks that they may be choosing to take? Um, so we've got a frontline briefing that's going to kind of explore some of that and I'm really pleased that we're working with Lydia Guthrie again this year um, so she'll be um, writing that frontline briefing for us and then as part of that we'll, we're going to do a bit of an in-conversation type of podcast so exploring some of those issues with Lydia as well. Um, um, she'll also be running a workshop and um, we'd like your feedback kind of through the year in terms of where we want to focus that. So we've, we've got it in, we've got dates in and it's definitely around balancing risks and rights but we're currently thinking about which area of practice to focus it in so it can feel like a really focused and helpful kind of area of work rather than a kind of a very broad, broad brush workshop. So really trying to narrow that down. So we'll be coming back to you through the year to think about that. And then thinking about that balance of risks and rights kind of neatly segues us into the work that we're doing this year on a topic around transitions and thinking particularly around um, uh, transitions in safeguarding. So safeguarding in children's services is a very different looking thing from how it is in um, adult services. So we're producing a frontline briefing that looks at that safeguarding in, in transitions. I don't know if you want to say a bit more about that Susan? yeah it's um it's a big area for des uh homes our director who who's the director across both um rip and mipfa that she's really feeling um passionate about and is is very keen to kind of um build a national conversation around i think so um she led a workshop uh, a joint workshop for both um, adults and children's services people in the autumn and uh, some of the things that you know really came through there were just this uh, kind of mind the gap challenge uh, about trans safeguarding transitions and how um, sometimes the tram lines of the way services have been developed in in separate sort of tram lines for adults and children's services really don't facilitate you know the journey of of an individual through their you know as they grow um, and and through their through from adolescence into adulthood. And also the kind of um, risk enablement conversations mm. that have been so much part of making safeguarding personal and other initiatives in adult social care that really are needed. You know, that kind of light is really needed on, on the way that um, child and family services tend to work with adolescents in relation to risk. So there's a lot to be learned there for, for child and family services, I think, around um, what what adult services have been doing for a number of years, really, isn't it, around thinking about enablement. Yeah, and it, that's kind of that sharing across, isn't it? So the trauma-informed work begins in children's and then we kind of pick that up and run. So actually the more that we can do to share that learning across um, adults and children's and actually deliberately doing things together as Rip and Rip for kind of the better for the, for the sector... 
and thinking more about the sort of transitions work that we're doing, um, we're really keen to not fall into the trap of thinking that transitions is all about that transition from um, being a young person in, into adulthood. But actually, you know, if we think about transitions, they happen at all points of our life course. Um, so we're looking at transitions towards the end of life as well. So we're looking at a publication that's looking at the experience of people who are needing care and support later in life. And actually, what, what does that look like? What does that feel like if you've always been independent, you've not needed the support of services, and suddenly your life changes and you do? So we're hoping to co-produce a publication looking at that and looking at that from a carer's perspective of you know suddenly a load of um, services become involved in your life and what that transition can feel like and actually what that transition then feels like in terms of your relationship as well as the carer for the cared for when maybe that's been your partner so what, what happens there kind of quite detailed area of work I'm really quite excited about and then we'll be doing podcasts again to um, bring in that lived experience so that people can talk about those experiences and practitioners and then get the opportunity to hear them excellent um, what else have we not talked about? We haven't talked uh, about uh, complex exploitation, which is another um, area which is kind of encouraging people to think uh, outside of some of the kind of terminological and sort of systems boxes that we, we might often be developing um, our approaches in. So this is an area that the University of Bedfordshire have been really um, leading the way in, in terms of thinking first around child sexual exploitation, but really moving beyond that to think about risk um, that adolescents are dealing with in the community, the local community where they are, um, between peers as well as um, between themselves and adults in the community. And there are a lot of different faces to that as well as what we now um, understand and are, you know, relatively familiar, but, you know, still quite newly attended to topic of, of, of sexual exploitation in the community. Um, some of the challenges there, I think, have been that uh, as the CSE um, issue kind of came very much to public uh, national attention um, and focus was given to it, uh, services, specialist services uh, developed around CSE, specialist um, safeguarding board subgroups would, uh, had, had emerged and there, and there was a, a really you know, needed, much needed kind of focus of attention on that issue. Resources being so tight, you know, some of those services now are starting to um, be decommissioned. Some of those safeguarding board sub subgroups are, uh, you know, not uh, being, uh, no longer being resourced. And there's a real need to build that kind of understanding about risk and adolescence and uh, the issues that they may be facing in terms of um, quite wide range of kind of potential areas of exploitation uh, and need for those for that understanding to be built across the wider youth and adolescent and child and family workforce um, to ensure that, um, that that people all are attending to those issues rather than thinking oh oh that's that's the one for the that's the one for the CSE specialists you know mm -hmm. that's not my area of attention. Um, Carleen Furman from the University of Bedfordshire is going to be leading on one of those elements, which uh, under that topic um, a. Um, a strategic briefing to think about some of those structural systemic issues and how, how this um, these issues can be attended to better. Um, 
we've already got a workshop that's being uh, receiving great feedback on on these issues which um, includes uh, a colleagues from Greater Manchester who, who developed a, a really innovative um, service delivery um, in this area and, and sharing some of the knowledge of having been working in that field as a result of an innovation program uh, grant over the last couple of years. Um, and that you've also got some um, materials, I think, have you around exploitation or maybe I'm just making that up. <laughs> So we, recently, we recently had our conference, actually, interestingly, on um, exploitation. And um, one of the things that kind of came out from the conference was about thinking about something that's going to support leaders to really be thinking about how they address exploitation and um, thinking about how we build a profile of exploitation so that we're not um, siloing and thinking of sexual exploitation as something that we need to consider separately from criminal exploitation, kind of thinking about in the world of adults. So as it happens, I have a gap currently in the delivery programme. So I'm thinking actually we'll probably much later in the year be doing a briefing that's aimed at leaders looking at exploitation so that we can continue that strand of work and consult again with the network to see if it feels like it's an area that mm. we'd like us to look at mm. next year. So this, this year we're continuing our work around legal literacy, which has been a, a very popular area of work for us in the last couple of years, um, and actually building on that. So actually what you told us this year is that it's something around legal literacy and court craft. So thinking about how, how we behave in court, so if that's not been your experience before to go to court, but thinking also about different types of court that you might say, court of protections, very different from a coroner's court. So we're looking at podcasts again, um, for um, practitioners who've been to court to talk through that experience um, but also hopefully looking for legal professionals to be talking about what good looks like of a social worker in court so if you're a barrister what, what are you really looking for with your those social workers in court so as I say you'll note that I said looking for so if you're working with any legal professionals you think might be up for doing a podcast for us we'd be really pleased to hear from you um, and also looking at a workshop around legal literacy and court craft. So taking us through sort of some confident practice around the legislation and then equally blending into that day some confident practice in court. Um, so it really aimed at kind of giving you kind of confidence, but also being consciously competent because actually you do have the skills as people working within social care to appear in court. So we just want to make you feel confident within that. The final topic on the RIP 2018-19 programme is neglect, which is everyone working in child and family social work knows is a, a huge area of practice complexity, a huge area of um, uh, of presentation in terms of um, child pro the, the primary reason for child protection plans and um, a huge area of in challenge in terms of um, getting it right in terms of direct practice with children and families. The, our understanding and kind of the depth of our understanding around neglect, uh, the relationship between neglect and the experience of deprivation and poverty has been enormously moved on in the last couple of years by this really huge, large scale and, and kind of seminal piece of work led by Paul Bywaters um, at the University of Coventry, looking in detail at the data held um, across the sort of children's services and DfE system to understand better, um, well, all sorts of things about deprivation and child protection and the relationship between those two things. Um, and then there are some specific 
uh, nuanced understandings around neglect in particular that that research really um, is helping us to understand and, and bring to the fore. I think sometimes for what, what some of that research says is that poverty becomes kind of white noise in the background of um, the work that child and family social workers are doing and that it's uh, it, it's so prevalent it it becomes hard to almost see it in terms of assessment and and working with families and some of this work and the and the frontline briefing that we're working on in this uh, around neglect is really going to try and um bring that change that dynamic really uh, around recognizing seeing um understanding the relationship the relationships between poverty deprivation and neglect there's also um, a series of uh, workshops for strategic leaders, strategic managers, led by Bridget Featherstone and Kate Morris, who are part of Paul Bywater's research team, which is really going to be helping people to understand some of the quite complex um, findings that this big project of data, national and locality data analysis, has some of the messages from that research have, have given, and to bring that to, into kind of practical conversation with strategic leaders from around the country to say so what does this mean then what if we can see what this analysis provides us in terms of a more nuanced understanding of who and where within our locality our activities in child protection are maybe um, over or underrepresented and um, what what might we want to do about that as strategic leaders in local authority children's services so again a real um, opportunity to come close to uh, large-scale really important nationally and internationally important piece of research and put those messages into practice in terms of strategic leadership so I think we've given a little skip through there haven't we Lisa yeah we have there's, there's quite a lot there when you sit down and talk about it for half an hour it's true and it makes you feel very proud of the work that our teams are doing and the connections that they're making with the academics and practice experts who are um, and they and uh, in your case very much so the um, experts by experience as well who are um, contributing to the content of the program so as well I was wondering um, from our perspective we're we're always on the lookout for practitioners to peer review our publications is that the same for you yes yeah. absolutely so do get you know if you're listening to this and you think there's some topics there that are of interest, get in touch and put yourself forward as um, someone that can kind of peer review those publications. So we absolutely make sure they speak to practice. Yeah, great idea. Right, lovely. So maybe we'll come back on um, with another one of these halfway through the year and when we start to when we start to scope the next round of um, topics for 2019-20 and uh, start to kind of uh, reach out and 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 maybe have a two-way conversation about what uh, what our next areas of focus might be thank you very much thank you if you've enjoyed this podcast please give us a rating on apple Podcasts so that other interested people can find us let us know your thoughts on social media tweet us at research ip or at ripfer we'd love to have your feedback